This episode is brought to you by Fortis et Fidelis, honoring the brave and faithful service of our fallen. The free will never forget. Hey everyone, Raiden here. And if you haven't heard, we were recently named one of the top 25 military veteran hosted podcast by podcast magazine and i just want to take this time to thank you all for your support not only with this podcast but also in supporting our brand fortis et fidelis and in helping us create and provide memorial coins for families of the fallen so i appreciate y'all until then enjoy this episode thanks What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Brave and Faithful Podcast. I'm your host, once again, Radian Dionisio. Today, today, I have a very special guest. He's also an active duty Navy, Naval officer, a podcast host, and a consultant for nonprofits. His podcast is also, we actually hit the top 25 of the podcast magazine of military veteran hosted podcasts. Um, the Nonprofit Architect Podcast. I have none other than Travis Johnson. Travis, how you doing, brother? Hey, I'm doing great, brother. Thanks for having me on the show. I, you know, we we co-opted that list back in October. It was nice of them to do a little focus on veteran-hosted podcasts. It's great to meet you finally and uh, get on the show with you. So thanks so much. Yeah, I appreciate you for uh, for taking the time again uh, and uh, kind of just sharing your story here. Um, yeah. You know, before we go into like the nonprofit and consulting and all that stuff, uh, you know, I did mention you're a naval officer. You're still active duty. Can you just tell us a little bit about your your service? How long you been in? When did you get in? And things like that. Of course, I got in July eighteenth, two thousand. It was a sunny day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I'm coming up on twenty one years here this summer, which is just crazy. Wow because you never know how your service is going to go. I enlisted at the bottom of the barrel, the E1 coming in. I took a year after high school to find myself and I found (laughs) the real world sucks when you don't have an education or skills, job, family connections, money, you know, those kind of things. Right. right. Uh, As an injection seat mechanic, went out and did my first tour in Lemoore, California at VFA 125, the Rough Raiders. They were the uh, rag squadron replacement air group for F-18s. This is alphas through deltas, not the super hornets, not the rhinos that are out there flying now, but the uh, the old baby hornets. And I uh, did some time on this, the USS Stennis, uh, USS Lincoln, USS Constellation. And then mm. we actually filmed behind enemy lines with Owen Wilson and Gene Hackman. It was at our squadron. We were the camera crew and then VFA 122, the super hornets, they were the-, the Were you on the film or- were you guys yeah. extras or anything? Yeah, no, <laughs> I doubt it. If, if I am, it's not because I knew about it. Uh, I probably get some some uh, residual money coming in, you know, some rights that are due to me, but I, I <laughs> doubt it. <laughs> uh, did a tour there, went, uh, you know, got married and we were uh, pregnant with our daughter and I called my dad. I was like, what should I do? Like, should that like affect where I'm going to go next. He's like, well, if you're in the Navy and you can see your kid being born, that's a pretty big deal. I was like, cool. So I looked at, I was looking at P3s in Hawaii at the time. 
or the E6 out of Oklahoma, the E6B Mercury is a nuclear command and control platform. This thing, if you're looking at the video, is behind me in the picture here. And I called him and said, hey, where are you guys going to be at on this date? And the P3 squadron in Hawaii was like, well, we're going to be in Diego Garcia. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to go to Oklahoma. So I picked Oklahoma over Hawaii, um, which not too many people do, I'm sure. But picked Oklahoma, did a tour here, made uh, for you Navy buff second class. And for everyone else, let's just be honest, you know the other services that's five <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh <laughs> went over across the parking lot after that tour to teach all the new maintainers coming in made e6 and then i uh, got some information there's this program called seaman admiral program and i was mm. like this is pretty interesting like i didn't think you know with like my criminal record and all the other stuff from <laughs> high school that I would have a legitimate shot like this was in my future at all and i asked my dad i was like did you ever do anything like this? Did you want to do this? He's like, yeah, I did. I, I wanted to do it. People told me I should, but every year I just felt like I was going to make chief. And then after I made chief, I was going to apply. And I was like, okay, so did you ever apply? He's like, well, I never made chief. So I just never applied. Mm. And I let that you know, be my roadblock. And I was like, Ooh, I don't like the sound of that. And I was asking around to the other guys, some of the old flight engineers and, and this, and I was like, do you guys ever like look into this? Like, what did you think? Is, is that something you you were exploring and they're like, uh, and almost all of them said the same thing. I was interested, but I wanted to fly. And I chose that first. And by the time I got back around to the officer thing, like I was too old, I was too late. I was too pick the thing, all right, pick whatever the dis disqualifier is. And then my dad's like, look, this is something that you want, apply, don't let anyone hold you back, go get, go give it a shot. And I did. And I, you know, I sat down with my wife and we're like, what do we want our career to go? What do we want it to look like? And, you know, I knew I still wanted to serve, but man, it would be nicer to retire with a little bit more cash. You know what right, I mean? Right. Um, was, was one of the factors, not the only factor, but of course, but the, one of the major factors. And we're like, you know, if, if they say no, they say no. But if they say yes, you know, that's going to be the next chapter. So I decided I was at like my nine year mark. I was like, you know what? I'm going to apply for this. And if they don't work, I'm going to apply for the LDO program. And if that doesn't work, I finish my degree and apply to OCS. If that doesn't work, I'll join the army and, and apply for their officer program. I'm doing it. I'm going to be an officer. Right. And lo and behold, when you decide what it is that you're going to do, the universe is like, well, I guess we're not stopping this guy. So they just let you go ahead and do it in my first application. Uh, they said yes. And uh, it was amazing. I went to the University of Oklahoma full time. Uh, I kind of felt like I was like hiding from the Navy because I was still active duty, still going to pay. But I was like, just going to class like a just regular student or in regular clothes, which is really cool. Um, and then I got commissioned and went down to flight school to be a naval flight officer, which is not a pilot. I run the mission side of the house. Uh, if you watch Top Gun, Goose was an NFO. I'm an NFO, but I'm in a big airplane. It's 150 feet long. So I'm in the middle running the comm suite and running the mission as a mission commander. Uh, when I went back to VQ3 again in Oklahoma to be on in the middle of the country, away from the rest of the Navy. <laughs> Went across the parking lot to teach again for all those new guys coming through, uh, teaching them how to fight the aircraft and do all the things we do. Then I took a tour out in Bahrain, running the 5th Fleet Command Center for a year. That was pretty interesting. And now I'm back in Oklahoma City, uh, running their watch floor here as an O3E, just hanging out, doing what I got to do. So you're in... Right now in Oklahoma City, that's where you're stationed at back in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So 21 years, man. So, you know, 
after you said nine years, you applied for uh, the uh, team into Apple program, got in. What made you, uh, are you, do you feel like you're going to go 30 or like how far are you going to take this? Well, I'm at the end. <laughs> I'm eyeing retirement. Uh, I've been working the last couple of years on a few different things. Um, if we're sharing video here, I did Warriors Wallet for a few years. I helped four people pay off $6 million in debt. And I realized that I didn't want any of their money. So I got involved in the nonprofit world and was helping them. And I was a board uh, member for a couple of nonprofits here in Oklahoma City. And, you know, I had a lot of fun with it, raised a half a million bucks, just did great things. I got stationed in Bahrain. I was like, I'm supposed to keep doing all this cool nonprofit stuff. Right. Uh, so then we fired up the podcast, the Nonprofit Architect podcast, you know, and we interview nonprofit leaders, business leaders, consultants, and people with special skills to help nonprofits do it better. And I had just a lot of fun doing that, started doing consulting work with them and really been working on building my skills to do something else in this world because. I don't know how everyone else is, but when I retire, I don't want to have to go to some office somewhere to work at nine to five with some company that's not, you know, I like, yeah. I don't want to help build their dream. I've been yeah. doing someone else's dream and serving for so long. I want to build my dream and design what I want my day to look like. So I've been, you know, working on the web skills and the marketing skills and sales and creating products and doing different things. And I found that I just have kind of a knack really for helping train other people do things. I, I got a podcast guide when I was trying to figure stuff out for, you know, like 27 bucks. And I was like, man, this guide is just not what I thought I was getting. You know, I know most eBooks aren't really like that robust or that, you know, full of value, but I was like, man, I paid almost 30 bucks for this thing. And I really felt like it didn't give me what I needed. So I sat down and I went through all the things I need to know for a podcast, all the things that I was doing, all the things that I was creating, you know, between my monetization and the marketing and how was I finding guests and how was I doing this and how was I doing And I put it all in one package. And the, the guy that I bought was like six pages of information. This thing's like 48 pages, 47, 48 pages, just packed to the gills with how to do this. Why, why is this matter? Links to this, links to how to do this, you know, temple, everything. And had a lot of fun creating it and I've been selling it and doing great things with that. But I really want to do this because I want people to have their voice heard. And if you're a nonprofit and you're interested in something like that, let me know. I'm sure we'll have links in the show notes or whatever, but, you know, help find someone to get their purpose going, you know, from my childhood growing up. And I don't know if we'll get into that or not, but you know, we, we didn't make it unless we had these nonprofits helping keep us sheltered, clothed, and fed. And now that I'm in a position to do something better with my life, I feel it's my mission to help the helpers. Yeah. So before we, um, before we get into the podcast, you kind of mentioned the podcast and the nonprofit. How did you first get involved with nonprofit and what made you, you know, I mentioned earlier, you're a consultant. How, how did that all come about? Well, it depends on what length story you want. I've got a super long one, I've got a medium <laughs> one, and I've got a pretty quick one. Like the the super cliff notes version, like growing up, um, you know, before graduating high school, I moved 36 times, went to 12 schools, six states, five foster homes, survived two murder attempts before graduating high school at 17, which is just a lot of stuff and a lot to process. 
but I mentioned a moment ago, there was always some group, some nonprofit, some church, some person willing to keep us sheltered, clothed, and fed. And now that I'm not in that place of scarcity and that place of, you know, survival mode, oh, I finally got stable in my life and in my career. Because you get you can get focused on your career really easy in the military. It's really easy to have career and then like beer time. It's super easy. Yeah, people get and, lost in their career. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you get lost in your career, you end up losing your family usually. Right. Um, but I, I look around and talk to some of my churches like, what do people like? What do people in the community do? Like, I want to get involved with something. And he's like, he kind of looked at me funny. I was like, I've never really like felt like I was part of a community because I was, I was always moving. I was always because so your dad was in the military, you said, right? It was in the Navy. Is that part yeah, of it? Yeah, but you don't or? move 36 times in right. 17 years. Uh, I really live with a single mom or in five different foster homes. Uh, she suffers from type one bipolar disorder, which includes okay. the mania and the depression. But type one also includes hallucinations and delusions of grandeur. So it's very uh, interesting childhood. But every time she needed treatment, we would have to, my sister and I would have to go live with a family member or be in foster care while she was getting treatment. Um, so that had involved uh, a boatload of moves. I'm up to 50 now, wow. you know, just a nice round number, just a half a hundred, you know, just 50. Uh, <laughs> you going up, up there. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's yeah. Yeah. 50 is as much as I can probably handle for a while. Right. But uh, he's like, well, you know, people in the community, you know, they, they help, they donate money, they help with projects, they serve on nonprofits boards, they volunteer, they do things to make the community better. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, do you know anyone that I can meet? And he's like, yeah, actually, I got a buddy you can go meet. And uh, I went down to a networking event. I don't have a business. I have no idea what I'm doing. How old are I don't you know who it is I'm looking for. Everyone in the, in the stinking room knew everybody else. I was like the only guy that was just like, you know. How old, how old were you when you were during that time oh i was like hmm when was this where was i i was probably 35 or 36 okay yeah it took me a lot of years to get uh, to a place where i felt stable secure safe not in that survival mode um pretty traumatic experiences growing up but you know went there and i just i showed up good attitude, willing to help. And that's most of life showing up with a good attitude, willing to help went in there. And I was looking for this guy named Grady and I couldn't find him. And I sat down this lovely gal, Miss Patty invited me to sit by her. She's like, I'll just call me Miss Patty. Everyone calls me Miss Patty. I was like, okay. And I sat down and she was talking about her daughter, Safari. And she was doing uh, all these amazing things. She was on the board of like, I, I don't know what the number it was. It was an astronomical number. And this was a couple of years ago, something like 40 nonprofit boards. Mm. Like she was just busting her tail each and every day, just trying to help the community. And I was like, this is awesome. I, you know, I would love to meet her. And I didn't realize what she was getting at because her daughter died in a car wreck from a drunk driver a couple of years earlier. And she was actually collecting money for a memorial fund to build a memorial for her daughter. Mm. Uh, and then we decided right then and there that we we're going to you know, shift our monthly giving over to help Miss Patty build the memorial. Uh, happy to say it got built a couple of years ago out on Crystal Lake in uh, West Oklahoma City. So if you get a chance to go out there and find uh, Safari, do it on Safari Safari Point at uh, Crystal Lake. You know, 
we helped put that together, which was pretty cool. I never been, never had my name on a plaque like that before. Like, and you growing up in that kind of world, you don't ever consider that as like a thing that's going to happen. Uh, you know, and I'm not bringing it up to pat myself on the back, but it, it's so interesting when you, you know, get in the right circle of people and you start doing the right things and little by little you grow towards, you know, something that you want to be, something that you can hold on to, something that's good for you and not just you, but good for the world in general. And it turns out the guy I was supposed to meet was sitting across the table the whole time. He knew who I was because I was the only right. outsider. And he just sat there, listened to the whole thing as it happened. You know, and at the end of this, I was talking to Miss Patty, she's like, what are you doing here today, baby? You know, baby, honey, all the, you know, down south, all the little nice words that people call each other. And I'm like, well, I was like, I'm supposed to be uh, Grady, Grandstaff. She's like, oh, honey, he's just, he's right here. <laughs> I'm like, like, dude, like, I came here to meet you. You've been sitting here the whole time. And uh, I guess I said all the things that he needed to hear, understood what kind of person I was, you know. It's interesting what people will hear when they're listening in or who's listening. You never know who's listening. Right. And, uh, you know, it, it led to me being on the, to a, a lot of introductions. I was two introductions away from publishing my first book which was just mind blowing for me. Cause I never thought I'd be there. Um, what, what networking event was this? Can you, can you mention? Um, what is it called? There's a, a local uh, city, not a city councilman, a, a county commissioner here that has like a monthly monthly networking meeting. Mm. And it's really just like, I think he calls it the fun lunch bunch. Just come and hang out and catch up with people. And it, it's not like BNI or like an official thing. It's not a paid membership or any of that stuff. It's just like, hey, come. Just hang out. out. Hang out. Meet some cool people. Figure out what you need or what they need and figure out how you can help each other. And that was it. And then the next connection I got um, was, I don't know, her name is Jamie, but she was with the, the Chamber of Commerce. And she's like, oh, we'd love to have you at an event. I was like, Chamber of Commerce? Like, don't you have to own a business? She's like, ah, you can come anyway. You seem like a good guy. <laughs> Like, so I went to like one of their bowling events. Right. Right. I was like, ah, ah, I, I did a little bit of bowling. I wasn't like magical or anything at the time. I was like, I'll just bring my stuff just in case, you know, I was like, Hey, maybe someone needs an extra bowler. And she's like, Travis, you brought your stuff, right? I've got the spot for you. Come on over here and meet these people from this bank. They need a fourth and then they'd love to have you. I'm like, well, that's cool. And I hung out and bowled with, got to meet the people at the bank and, and all this fun stuff. And at the end of the event, she's like, Oh, Travis, you're in the Navy, aren't you? I got this friend, Shannon, and she's writing a book right now. And she's taking all these uh, collection of chapters from all these different military authors. You'd be interested? You want to get into something like that? I was like, why not? That sounds cool. So I went from, you know, not being anywhere in the nonprofit world to having a nonprofit reach out to me uh, literally just a couple of weeks after, I, after that meeting and asked me to be part of the Walk for Warriors project under Books by Vets. And I you know, shot her an email before I left the bowling alley and woke up the next morning and I had a reply. She's like, I'd love to have it. Deadline is this week. I need 3000 words, wow. go. And uh, before I had breakfast that morning, I finished writing that chapter because I had already been talking about my wife and my childhood and different things in the military for years at that point, even though I just never had put it on paper. So I finished it in a couple hours and sent it off. And she's like, great, you're in the book. We got you included uh here's when we're launching it's like well this is cool like you know I, I, it's not something i expected i didn't you know sign up to go do this for any kind of accolades or weird things like that it just kind of fell into it 
And this is after just joining a networking event. Yeah, just going to one networking event. Like, how weird is it? Like, how that doesn't happen or does it happen? I don't know. But how (laughs) crazy is that? But maybe that uh, maybe not that quick, but like yeah. (laughs) yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But that one, that one relationship, I was like, this is cool. Like, what do you need help with your nonprofit? I was like, because I, I wanted to volunteer and you know and get involved. It's like, it's like, do you need volunteers? Do you need money? Do you need board members? I don't know how this works. What do you need? She's like, actually, I need board members. Hmm. I was like, well, I'd love to be a part of what you're doing. And that was it. I was on her board. We got this thing started rolling. We published another collection next year, the year after called uh, Resilient Warriors. And it was 22 female veterans telling their story. And you can find these on Amazon. Uh, Shannon Whittington's the author on there because all the you don't know, list all the authors under one ISBN. Uh, feel free to pick that up if you want to. But uh, you want to read some gut wrenching stories, some some stories that'll just infuriate you. Read Resilient Warriors and see what our fellow female service members are going through that we don't realize what's happening most of the time. I did editing on like 16 of those chapters and oh man, just <laughs> heart was ripped out while I was, I was going through that thing. But you know, nonprofit work is, is amazing because you can do anything from helping veterans heal from PTSD or TBI or traumatic experience, or you can help rescue and rehabilitate animals or feed and clothe the homeless or any number of endless topics that things you can do to help other people, whether you're helping them as a business, like a beneficial corp, just being a great person or like getting into the nonprofit specific game. But, you know, that one board ship led to another board ship. And we did, uh, I worked, uh, I was on the Shine Foundation board. We did concerts was our main fundraiser. So we had uh, some of the old time guys like uh, Wanda Jackson, Merle Haggard, BJ Thomas, Chris Christopherson, Alan Parsons Project, Jody Miller uh, were the ones you know, around my time when I was there, I'm sure they've done other since, but you know, what a cool thing to be involved in where you can get out and meet people and be part of, you know, and help bolster and better the community. So for those that, for those of you guys just joining in, just uh, talking to Travis Johnson podcast, host of the nonprofit architect, also nonprofit consultant. So Travis, for those just listening in, maybe interested in, you know, creating a nonprofit, uh, you know, things like that. What are some things that they need to know or consider uh, in creating one? And can you just tell us a little bit about uh, the nonprofits that you're involved in right now? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, first question I ask everybody when they're interested in the nonprofit game is, if I gave you two grand right now at this moment, would that change your life? If the answer is yes, you probably shouldn't start a nonprofit. <laughs> if, if your world is, is in a hurt, uh, and you're struggling with your family or making your ends meet, focus on that. Please, please, right. please focus on that. Getting into nonprofit work might make you feel a little better, but it's not going to help your family uh, right away. But there's some things to consider because you can do a lot of good work without starting your own nonprofit. What, you know, one of the things you need to know is, is, is who in town, who in my area is doing the thing that I'm interested in? If I have you know, a heart uh, to, you know, my heart to feed or help the homeless, who else is helping the homeless people in my area? There might you might find out that there's no one in your area really servicing your area, and now you know you have a need that can be filled. You might find that there's a dozen people, a dozen different organizations helping. You're like, oh, there's a bunch of people. I can make an impact to today by 
connecting with one of those organizations and seeing mm-hmm. where I can pitch in, if I can help promote their stuff, if I can help give them money, if I can make introductions that are going to benefit uh, the people that I'm trying to help, if I can go volunteer or maybe be a board member. So there's ways to make that impact right away. And I'm suggesting this because starting your own nonprofit is a huge pain and the long road and the long game. Um, so if you can go help one that's already doing it, great. If you find one that you do like, but it's not in your area, maybe you can bring a branch of what they're doing to your area. Yeah. Right. If you can bring a branch of something that's already created, think of it like a franchise, like the McDonald's model or Roto Rooter, right? You can bring their game plan, their blueprint, all their policies and procedures. Here's the playbook here, go into your area and do good things. You don't have to create any of that stuff. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to figure out what the heck it all means. You just have to implement it because it's already there for you. Or maybe you find uh, like my friend Candice Leozu at a foster 360 in Mesa, Arizona. She wanted to help foster kids, kids eating out of foster care, something that I care about quite a bit because I was in that situation. I understand what that looks like. And she looked around. Uh, Mesa is right outside of Phoenix and Tempe. So that big metro area, she looked around and she found out there was tons of nonprofits dedicated to helping kids aging out of the foster care system. So she was like, cool, this is great. This is a lot of stuff. And then she surveyed them and she went around and asked them like, there's all these organizations and I know you're doing great things. What's missing? What's being left out here? Is there a gap in all of your services? And she found services to cover just about everything. But there was one thing that she discovered is that all these nonprofits were essentially treating kids like they were still in the foster care system. Like this nonprofit has this guy that they're helping and then they can't help them anymore. So they just send them over there. And as soon as he's gone, it's hands off. Yeah. So she found that uh, she could benefit the community by partnering up kids aging out of the foster care system with a mentor that would help them navigate and walk them through one person for one person and help them through all of those programs. So they don't feel like they're getting passed off like they had been their whole life, which was great. She also didn't really want to start her own nonprofit. So what she did is she went to the United Way in Mesa and not a lot of people know this, but you can create a program under another nonprofit, right? So she's got her own program under their foster 360. She's not her own nonprofit. So you don't even have to start your own profit to get your own program because if you're wanting to help someone like foster kids, you want to deliver the programs. You want to be right. in the mix. You want to do that. You want to be boots on ground, right? Well, if you're busy running an organization, you're not really doing that. But if you're only running a program, it's a lot easier to be involved in day-to-day interactions with the group of people that you want to help. Um, but if you find that the thing that you want to do, the thing that you're passionate about is being ignored or just not being covered, I highly recommend that if you're you know in a great place to do that, that you start a nonprofit. That you figure out a way you can do this, whether it's you know giving money to a nonprofit that can help through your company or your personal paycheck, or if you want to start one yourself uh, to help deliver those services. But you got to focus on three areas. You got to be able to deliver programs. You have to be able to get the funding that you need, and you've got to make sure you take care of admin stuff. One of the biggest problems I see, especially in the veteran world, is they get out there and they just want to do. Every dollar's got to go to a veteran. That's great. But sometimes that veteran in need is you because you have to pay your own bills. You have to make sure that you're able to keep this thing going. There's nothing like providing services for nine months and then you're a complete wreck 
your finances are stressed, your family's stressed, like you're still in the military, you haven't dedicated any time to self-care. There's no time for training. Like we spend like 85 to 95% of our time in the military training. You haven't spent any time to educate yourself on the nonprofit game, to train you, to train your volunteers, to train your board, to train your employees if you have them. You just want them to do? What, what kind of operation would that be if we just landed a bunch of Marines you know, on the shores of a foreign land, but they didn't have weapons training. Like what would happen? It'd be a disaster. You might get it done, but man, it wouldn't be pretty, right? And that's what we're doing in the nonprofit world. We're going to go try to deliver these services and do something good, which is great, but it hasn't been planned out. It hasn't been thought out. It hasn't, no one understands how to do this. No one understands the best way to do this. Are you compliant? Our biggest thing is, is nonprofit leaders trying to do it all themselves are trying to put a pack on and carry everyone's load themselves and they're getting wore out, tired and beat up. And then they have no kind of sustainability without them at the helm. There's no succession plan, uh, succession plan. There's no way that anyone else can carry their torch if they're sick for a day. There's no one lined up to do this event in case you get deployed, you know, or whatever the case may be. So, take some time, figure out what it is that you need. Maybe you need a consultant, maybe me, maybe you're like, Travis, I don't like your haircut. I got someone I can <laughs> refer you to, you know, that might be a better fit for you, but don't not get, get the help. training you yeah. need, whether it's books, whether it's good podcasts, I can recommend a good one. It's free, great information out there. Or you have to hire a consultant to come in because you just don't know what you don't know. And then you get, you run into compliance issues where you haven't filed your 990, which can be a postcard if you're under like 50 grand, I think it is. Um, you haven't had a board meeting all year and you know, you got to have one a year. So, you know, veteran nonprofits, especially will be just doing good things, right? They'll be getting people to cover every dime that they need, but they're running themselves completely ragged. Like somehow they, they deserve to be in pain while they're delivering services. You don't have to kill yourself to make an impact. Stop doing it. <laughs> Ask for help. Asking for help doesn't make you helpless. Like work together as a team. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great point you brought up earlier, just in the beginning. Like, you know, there's plenty of organizations out there that are pretty much doing what, um, you know, helping other people, whether they be veterans or civilians, whoever it is, that are doing what you, you know, what you kind of want to do already, right? Yeah. So why not just partner up and uh, connect with them instead of, having the, I mean, I don't want to, I, I haven't started a nonprofit, but I'm pretty sure it's a lot of work. It's a lot of pains and things like that. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's still a business that used to have to run. Um, so I, I think people, especially with the veterans, you know, every, like, like you just said, we just want to do, 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 we want to just get the work done, but they don't realize all the work that's included yeah. in that. So, um, I think that that was a great point. Um, and then Travis, so we, we mentioned networking earlier. Um, how can, for those who are, who are still interested in doing a nonprofit, what's the best way that they can kind of network, um, you know, whether that be with organizations or with local businesses, what's the best way that they can do that? Uh, well, there's a lot of great places to take care of this stuff. If you are involved with the Chamber of Commerce or the Lions Club, Rotary Club, Elks, Else, MOOCs, like whatever service organizations are out there, when you drive into town, they're all on that, that sign in town, right? Yeah. Uh, Kiwanis, all of those people there want to help the community and they care about other people, all of them. 
right? That's why they're there. They're not there to be like, oh, I'm a Kiwanis guy. Like they're a Kiwanis guy because they want to be there. They want to help. They want to do good things. And most of them, not all of them, but most of them are business leaders or business owners. So you have a, a group of people that is able to write off, right, donations that they want to help and get involved in the community, right? They want to do good things. They just need to know how they can best help. All right. So if you go to things uh, and you can speak and get invited to speak at all these places, talk about your mission, talk about your vision, the impact you want to deliver, and then tell them what you're looking for. Hey, I'm looking for board members, someone that wants to get in and help do some of those good work so we can raise money and deliver these great programs and services. Or, hey, we need volunteers. We need people handing out things, cooking lunch for the homeless, creating whatever the thing is, or we need corporate sponsors. We need people that are willing to pony up some cash to help make these things work because I can't do this as one person. This problem is bigger than just me. It's actually bigger than just me and everyone in this room. I need many, many partners to help this thing through. What way do you think you can pitch in? If you use Jim Mattis's three-step communication process, it's like, what do I know? Who needs to know? And have I told them? Or a lot of startups get uh, get confused as they forget to tell people what they need right. or they feel that needing something is somehow wrong or they forget that it, you need to ask people for money and be like well i'm Which uncomfortable asking point. people for money <laughs> but you want to you want to run a nonprofit, right right, right. you want to you want to run this uh potentially charitable organization to help this group of people you're going to self-fund this thing all out of your own pocket well no i can't really afford to do that but you also want to ask people for money Right. Why are you wanting to found an organization? Why well, really want to help these people? Find another way to help. That's fine. Right. But if you're scared to ask people for help, to ask people for money, to ask people to partner, sponsorship, whatever the thing is, then you can't do it. Think about it, you know, being a fire team leader or being uh, a running back or a blocker uh, in football when you're starting. It's not that you have to do your job, but you got to have the team. The blocker doesn't score that touchdown. Right. One of the wide receivers, the quarterback, running back, they're going to score that touchdown. You're there to, to keep them safe. Whatever your role is, whatever your job is, if you're going to lead an organization, you are the brand. You as a person are the brand of this organization. You have to be up there doing the talking, the speaking engagements. Oh, but Travis, I'm not that guy. Well, maybe you need to find someone that has the same vision as you do, and they need to be the founder. And you can be the Steve Wozniak up at 3 a.m. doing the coding behind the computer screen while the other guys, Bill Gates, out promoting the stuff. I don't know if it's Gates or Steve Jobs. I don't know which one that fit into. I don't really care. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> some angry comments online. Travis, I can't believe you don't know. Same difference. Whatever. The guy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, um, figure out what your role is. Some people are the big charismatic person and they want to be out front. Great. Get your number two. That is a, an admin person that takes care of all the details, all the paperwork, you know, maybe a prior... Uh, yeoman or personnelman and have that attention to detail if you're a Navy person, uh, get someone that handles the things that you're not good at. You want Don't me to just get, get somebody someone that's like, like you. Yeah, the opposite of you. Like yeah, if you're an introvert, you know, get somebody yin, that's yin an yang. extrovert. Yep. Yeah, okay. get that uh, where they can help fill that in, fill that spot in. Maybe you're the introvert and you want to start something, but you need the extrovert. You need the person that's going to go out there and be all smiles and handshakes and waves and asking people for money because you're not that person. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. If you're in the nonprofit world, it's not about you anyway. It's about the mission. Right. Right. But I want you to be clear. I want to make sure everyone understands this. No one cares about your mission. 
no one cares about your mission. If you're not making an impact, it doesn't matter what your mission is. <laughs> my, my mission is to feed, have no, no kid hungry in America. Cool. There's a lot of people that have the same mission. What are you doing about it? Oh, well, mm, yeah. Okay. Like right now there's 1.8 million, 1.5 or 1.8 million nonprofits in America. There's 53,000 nonprofits dedicated to veterans. 53,000. That's more than a thousand per state on average. Someone's doing what you want to do. I right. guarantee it. Right. Maybe they just need a different program manager to help do the thing you specifically want to do. And you can work with them. Starting your own organization is a huge, huge, huge undertaking. And the amount of people that burn out, the amount of people, most people don't re reach $50,000 in total donations before they hang it up. I just had a friend of mine here in Oklahoma City hang it up in the last week. I'm not going to mention, mention his name or organization because that's not the kind of person I am. But he's been going for three or four years. They hadn't, I, I don't, I'm pretty sure they didn't reach $50,000 for that whole time. Now I've got friends that uh, have done some other things. I have a gal that I helped in Oklahoma City. We took her up to 70 grand in her first year. I'm sure Gary Sinise started a new foundation. I'm sure that's in the millions. He's got right. the name, the condition, and the branding, and all this. Right? If you can't think right now what three people in my network should be on my board, and I'm not talking about family members, right? I'm talking about three people in your network that would be good for a nonprofit board. You've got some work to do, and that's okay. You can take a year to strategize. You can take some time to plan. You can be like my friend Candace Leozu, who went and canvassed the Phoenix Mesa Tempe uh, metropolis down there. It's if you've ever been down there, it's one of the biggest metropolitan areas and land area there is in the U.S. I don't know if it's number one or not, but it's gigantic. She went and took the time to see what was needed. You know, the thing that was on her heart: helping kids age out of the foster care system, making sure they had direction and care in their life. She took. I want to say she took either nine months or over a year putting everything together to figure out what the right thing was for her to do in her vision. She went out and took the time. She went out there to find people to help her in her organization before she ever delivered services. There's nothing wrong with that. If I give you a dollar today, you don't have to spend that thing today on the next guy that walks by that thinks you might need it. You don't have to do it. You can, but you don't have to. Every dollar that comes in needs to go to help people, right? right? Yeah, but sometimes hiring the best running back to score the touchdown is going to be expensive. And it's okay to hire the right people that are going to be a little bit more expensive. There was a big um, scandal going on talking about raising money for some program in California. And they're like, you guys spent this much on marketing. And it was a big thing. And they're like, well, marketing you know, this much level of marketing brought in 50 times the amount in donations. They're like, doesn't matter. We have bad, bad press about it. We can only spend like five grand in marketing. They brought in like something like 75 times less than they brought in the year before. More marketing equals more dollars. Right. It does. That's more it. marketing yeah. equals more dollars. I mean, Coca-Cola and McDonald's are most recognized brands on the planet. Everyone knows who they are. They still spend millions of dollars in marketing each and every month. If those guys are marketing and everyone knows who they are, how much more do you need to market when no one knows who you are? Right, right.
want to support an active duty owned brand head over to fortis-fidelis.com again that's fortis-fidelis.com and help us in honoring the brave and faithful service of our nation's defenders all proceeds will help us create and provide memorial coins to the families of our fallen service members again that's fortis-fidelis.com and help Fortiset Fidelis in honoring the brave and faithful. For those that are still looking for um, board of directors, right? If they have a nonprofit or they're looking to start a nonprofit, what are they looking to, um, what are they looking for as far as like board of directors? Uh, there's a lot of different attributes. You want the skills, the diversity, and the reach that you don't have, right? Um, they're saying right now that the best boards out there match the demographics of the area that they're in, right? If you're in northern Minnesota, chances are you're going to be 100% or close to 100% uh, white guy from Scandinavia, Germany, or Poland <laughs> because that's the people that live up there. Um, your board is going to look much different if you were in Mississippi or in Arizona. It needs to be a reflection of the people that you see out and about in the public every day. Should you have a banker? Should you have a lawyer? Should you have a CPA? Should you have an entrepreneur? Yes. Should you have the average man that uh, maybe doesn't have one of those positions? Maybe he's an employee. Maybe he is a recipient of those services. Absolutely. Should you have people in different generations? Without a doubt, you need people with that top level experience. Maybe they're uh, maybe they're boomers, maybe they're older generation X. You need people that have that kind of knowledge, that kind of network, that kind of business contacts. Absolutely, but you also need millennials, and we've got some Gen Zers that are actually getting into the game already. My daughter's eighteen. She's a Gen Zer. She's still at home because she's a senior in high school, but she's about to be out in the world. They have a different way, different perspective, a way of doing things. You're going to be able to, to hold the gala and you're going to be able to reach a certain sector of the world. But this younger sector of the world will never go to your gala, right. but you might be able to connect with them on TikTok. Hmm. You need to go to where the people are that are going to care about what you care about or are going to care about investing in what you want to do. So you need all these different angles covered. Uh, two of the big things I find nonprofits struggling with right now is people don't know who they are. They don't have their voice. No one's hearing them. And in times of COVID, they're not it's like they're going door to door to meet the neighbors in a lot of states. Oklahoma is open. Actually, most of the Midwest is open. But people on the coast where most of the country lives, they're on lockdown in a lot of places. Um, so you have to do virtual events or virtual meetups. What I'm finding a lot is and what I'm recommending, and yes, this is something that I sell, is, is getting people to start their own show. If you've got a business or you've got a nonprofit and you don't have a podcast, I think you're really missing a huge part of the, the country and people you could connect with. All right. uh, and the second biggest problem they're having is they don't know, they don't have the content to fill up their social media. They don't know what to post. They don't know what to put out there. Uh, and the podcast is really the answer to both solutions. If you do an interview show like we're doing today, You've got the easy job. You got a handful of questions. You need to say, Travis, answer all this stuff. <laughs> and then it is my job to come up with all the answers, yeah. right? And I do the same thing on my show, right? Where I interview people. But the best part about it is 
once that interview is created, right, once this is done, you can take every question and every answer, and that can be a little segment of content that you can put out any day of the week. Uh, you might have a quote or five or 10 that you like from the show, from the interview. You can take that, put it on Canva or Pinterest, put it on a pretty, pretty background, and that becomes your content. So if you do a weekly show, you have at least 10 pieces of content that you've created. You've got a morning and an afternoon post for every day of the week if you want to. You don't have to figure out, oh, what are we going to say today? Or we haven't delivered services because of COVID. What are we going to talk about? Bring on an expert in the field. If you're in human traffic, human trafficking, bring in someone from the FBI that talks about what they're doing for human trafficking. If you have uh, a nonprofit podcast like I do, bring on other nonprofit consultants, nonprofit experts. If you are helping the homeless, interview people in the nonprofit world that are helping homeless in different cities and see how they're doing it differently. They let them create all the content, let them answer all the questions, but now you have all the content pieces you need to help keep your audience informed and engaged. And you have things you can then put on your website and your social media. Most nonprofit websites are just a digital pamphlet. Like this is who we are. This is why we started. This is who we serve, give us money. Who is gonna go back to that website right. ever? Nobody, there's no reason for them to go back. You might have a reason for them to go once, Without content, like social media, like a news feed, like ESPN, they have new stuff every single time you go there. You go back because there's new stuff. If you're not doing that, if you're not giving people reasons to come back to your website, you're, you're saying that you don't care about them or there's nothing that you're doing. How are you proving to them that you're doing anything about your mission, your vision, the impact you want to have in this world if you're not showing them and producing new things? And again, a podcast or a blog or a blog is a great way to do that. So Travis, can you give our audience one actionable step that they can take right now if they want to you know, start their own nonprofit? Do you mean like what you would have to do, like, like the official process or thing they could consider before starting? Like for starting, like what's one thing that they can, what's the first step that they should take right now um, when they, you you know. You really need to see if anyone else is doing this where, you're, where you are. And it's not that, you know, some organization can't be doing the same thing and you create competition or anything like that. There's nothing wrong with that. But I would hate to get involved and do all the things necessary that it takes to do nonprofit work and then realize that someone else is already doing what you're trying to do and doing it better. And what if, if it's already taking place in your community, then what's the point of your organization? So ensuring that you are filling a need that still exists. Now, maybe you're in a, in a large metro area and the people that are conducting the thing that you want to do is across town somewhere. Well, maybe you can open a branch of their organization and just be a program manager instead yeah. of running an entire organization on your own. Uh, because starting your own organization is a gigantic hassle, huge pain, tons of paperwork, everything's on you, or you could just run a program and take the formula that's already been created by someone else and work it in your area. Yeah. I think we talked about that before, where it's like, if somebody out there is kind of like doing or has the nonprofit that you had in mind, you know, why recreate the wheel when they've already laid down the foundation, right. And then, you know, help out mm -hmm. that foundation, help out that, uh, um, nonprofit, you know, let it grow. 
So, yeah. And if you have decided that you're going to build one, you need to have a team of people. You need to get your nonprofit board together. You need to find people that are going to help you in your mission. I've got a lot of resources, one of which is a nonprofit board member questionnaire. And it runs through a series of questions that you can ask potential board members. One of the things on there is, do you have 10 hours to dedicate to nonprofit work each and every week? Now, I don't really expect anyone to say, yes, I have 10 spare hours to give you. Uh, and that's not really what it's about. What, what it's really about is, is someone actually thinking about dedicating the time it takes to help your organization. You know, you ask people, what is the, what, why are they interested in your organization? You know, what do you know about their mission? What kind of fundraising experience do they have? How much time would be able to contribute? Do you have board experience, wisdom, strategic thinking, contacts? Like, what does it take yeah. to have a good board member? And, you know, if you send me a message, I'll send you this little board questionnaire here. But normally when I talk to people that have created an organization, and they say their board members aren't contributing. And I asked them some of these questions. And they're like, oh, I never even thought to ask that. I was like, well, what did they think it was? Do you think it was just going to hang out and BS about the project like you're drinking beers on the weekend solving the world's problems? Because you're going to need people on board that can actually take action. When I evaluate a board member, I'm looking for someone that has time, talent, and treasure. Right. Two of those th three things make a good board member. One of those things might make a good volunteer. Three of those things uh, means you're probably the founder. But if they have time and talent, talent and treasure, or treasure and time, they're going to be able to help you get to where your goals are and where you want to go. So you said time, talent, and treasure? Treasure. Yep. So treasure by like what, like money, money wise that they have? It could be. It could be money, right? It could be resources. It could be an email list. It could be connections. Hmm. There's a lot of different ways to dissect that word treasure. You know, if I if I have someone that has uh, maybe the talent of Gab and they love connecting people and they just happen to know everyone in the community, you want that person on your team. Hmm. Because Good when point. you have when a question arises and you need something or how do we do this or what do you, they'll be like, you know what? I know a person that can handle just that thing. So their talent that they bring to the board is this connection that's going to put you in touch with the people you need to make things work. Yeah. I mean, just because it's a nonprofit doesn't mean, I mean profit. It plays a big part as well. <laughs> well, yeah, it has to do with sustainability, right? Right. If, if I need $12,000 to take a group of veterans hunting for the weekend um, four times a year, if I need 12 grand to do that, how much money am I raising? If you say 12 grand, you've thought about this thing completely wrong because 12 grand might do those things, but 12 grand doesn't maintain a tax professional. 12 grand doesn't account for any kind of compensation. 12 grand doesn't compensate for or account for any kind of insurance. 12 grand doesn't account for any kind of training or consultant work you might need to help make your vision move. When you look at the number needed versus the number that could it was out you're like, well, I can't get money unless it's specifically for programs. Having someone to administer the program is money directly needed for programs. It's all part of the calculus. I just had someone post today. They're like, I just, I'm waiting for my 501c3. What should I do? Building your board, strategizing, 
putting together policies and procedures, making sure that what you're trying to do is sustainable. I've talked to too many people, especially former military veterans out there that want to be Superman and do it all on their own. Then they burn out after a year and a half to three years, their organization dissolves and no longer providing services because they never thought to build the organization around sustainability. So Travis, what's one thing you want our listeners to, you know, kind of take away from this episode? What I want listeners to take away from this episode, if they have the heart, drive, and desire to do something like this, they should, but don't just jump into it. Figure out what needs to happen, what gaps need to be filled in your community, and start delivering services. You don't have to create your own nonprofit to get this thing done. There's too many ways to volunteer, to partner with other people, to serve under the United Way, or a thousand other ways to do this thing without actually starting your own nonprofit. And people say like, oh, aren't you the nonprofit architect? Shouldn't you be helping people start? No, we're helping people create the impact. No one cares about the mission. Not anyone. That whatever mission you have, there's 53,000 veteran service organizations delivering services, and they all have roughly the same mission. What people do care about is the actual impact that you're delivering to the community. Because without impact, your mission means nothing. Yeah, I guess like nobody really cares about your mission unless you make an impact, whether that be within your community or I mean, just anywhere else in general. Um, you know, if you Whatever it is, I want to help rehabilitate feral cats. Cool. So do tons of other organizations. Right, Why you? Right. Why yeah. is yours different? How are you making an impact? Oh, you're, you're not yet because you need $30,000 of startup money? It's going to be a hard sell. People aren't going to be interested. But, you know, even before fundraising kicks off, we're already helping. We've already impacted, I don't know, 10 kittens in the last week. Wow, you're already out doing something? Perfect. Let me support you and what you're doing. It's the difference between a car sitting down the side of the road broken and a car sitting on the side of the road and two people are out trying to push. Who's going to get help sooner? The guy's pushing or the guy just sitting there? So let me ask you this, like what, what, if, if there is any, is there any difference between a nonprofit running a nonprofit and for-profit business? No, there's just more restrictions in a, in a nonprofit business. You have all the same hurdles. You've got to incorporate your business. You've got to get a tax EIN. You've got to deliver product and services. The added stipulations come from the IRS that says, your profits that you make with a nonprofit, any money extra has to go back into your mission. It's not like a corporation where you might have money come in and give bonuses to the staff and give money to the shareholders. The money's got to stay in-house and you don't own a nonprofit. You as the founder on day one, you hand over the baton to the board and the board is responsible to the community for the execution of the mission. So if you can serve a group of people through your for-profit business, I don't see any reason to start a nonprofit business. Keep in mind, they're both businesses. Right. It's just a little bit of tax, a little bit of tax code and a little bit of extra rules. Um, but if you're not in the business mindset, if you don't know anything about business, acumen, taxes, selling a product, services, all of those things, they're required for the nonprofit world. You need to understand. And one of the things that our podcast covers, the nonprofit architect, is really how to do those things. I don't just interview nonprofit leaders. I, I interview business leaders. I interview consultants. I bring yeah. in CPAs and lawyers. And we talk about all these different things that's required. And the reason we're having so much success is we're actually delivering 
the actionable steps you need to make smarter decisions, to build a better board, to deliver better services, to create that sustainability. So you can do this on year five, year 10, year 15, and not just for the next six months. We want you to be successful, but it takes more than just you wanting to do it in order to get it done. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And part of the reason, that's one reason why I asked is because like, you know, people might see, you know, like the, the difference between a for-profit and non-profit, but it's basically the same thing. You're both running a business and there's mm-hmm. things that needs to be done. And if you're not capable of doing it or, you know, um, you might, you might as well, like we talked about earlier, joining another organization that fits whatever you're trying to do. Absolutely. It's just like business. If, you know, if I ask you what your KPIs are, your key performance indicators, and as a nonprofit, you don't know, that means you don't know where your money is going and you don't know if what you're doing is having an impact. If you're in a business and you have ads and your key performance indicator might be how many people actually click on your link. But if you're not actually tracking that, if you don't actually know, you're going to notice that business is not making money or losing money. And the longer they wait to learn some of these things, the sooner they will close up shop and wonder why their baby didn't work out the way they wanted it to. It is not just wanting to help. Wanting to help doesn't get it done. You have to do more. You have to build this organization around you. You have to build policies and procedures. You have to meet all the IRS deadlines, rules, regulations, all of those fun things. You have to have a board meeting every year. You have to file your taxes as a nonprofit every year. And you have to know what some of these things are because just wanting to feed the homeless is not the same as running an organization dedicated to nonprofits and meeting all the requirements. Some appreciate that, Travis. Uh, for those of you guys just joining in, talking to Tra- Travis Johnson of the Nonprofit Architect Podcast. Uh, so, Travis, going into our second segment here, this is um, so I call this the Fast Five. We're asked the same five questions I ask all my guests. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. So, first question: What's one hobby you enjoy? Golf. Definitely big in the golf. I've uh, I've got a couple of friends in the Oklahoma City area. We go out golfing, and it's a lot of fun. Sometimes we keep it score, sometimes we don't, but it's always a good time. Get out in the sun, green grass, away from the city, and just really enjoy it. Yeah, my dad tried to get me into that while I was young. I just never got into it. I wasn't too. I wasn't that patient when I was younger. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's awesome, man. So. Second question, if you had to choose one person, dead or living, to hang out with for one day, who would it be and why? Definitely choose someone living. <laughs> who would who would that be? Oh, you know, that's a good question. I think right now in today's day and age, it'd probably be Elon, Elon Musk to see how he spends his day, what kind of conversations he has you know, really just building that future towards, I mean, his whole goal is to, is to get on Mars, to colonize Mars. And the things that he's been doing in order to make that happen have just been phenomenal, just leaps and bounds ahead of, of any other person, every other industry, you know, NASA, I mean, we just had, I don't know, whatever rover land on Mars here not too long ago, but you know, you still have things like the Mars society that have been pushing this thing, you know, since the late nineties and they haven't lost steam or enthusiasm it's been over 20 years since they were created and they're still just on fire as they ever were. And now you have someone like Elon coming along, really privatizing with SpaceX and space exploration. I mean, 
who thinks of these things and how does he convince people to come along with his vision? That's what I want to know and what I, what I want to learn. What would be your top three questions for Elon? For Elon, top three questions? Hmm. Man, I haven't thought of that before. Top three questions for Elon. <laughs> I know he's got some great quotes out there. Like if you're thinking about being an entrepreneur and you need encouragement, well, then you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. So I know at what point did he say, I don't care how many times I'm getting punched in the face, I'm going to keep moving forward. That's, I'd want to know that. I would want to know how he got his brand evaluated as Tesla before they even produced any cars and they had a, a valuation of their brand far being, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars before, before even created. a single car was yeah. produced. Yeah. Like how do you do something like that? And then what does he do to maintain that clarity of vision? Good questions right there. All right. Next question for me, recommend a book for our audience to read. If you are doing anything in your life with business, with nonprofit work, or if you have a job and you're trying to get a better pay raise, you have got to, got to, got to read Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. He is a hostage negotiator for the FBI. He walks you through all these different case studies of things that he's done, how it applies to business and how it applies to your personal life. Fantastic read. If you haven't checked it out, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Yeah, I just finished the, uh, the audio book. That was a great book. Uh, next question. What's your favorite quote and why? Uh, one of my favorite quotes is, is one of my quotes from when I was doing, um, oh, what do you call it? Personal finance work. Uh, it was, if you can't live on 90%, you can't live on 120%. It's not the dollars. That's the problem. It's the behavior. Say that again. It's not the dollars. That's the problem. It's the behavior. It's not the amount of money, right? It's not the dollars. It's the behavior. With, uh, with every pay raise we get, if you give yourself a lifestyle raise as you go, you will never, ever, ever have excess money. Like I've been in the Navy over 20 years. I did 12 years enlisted and nine years commissioned now. I didn't give myself a cost of living or a lifestyle raise after I got commissioned. I still yeah. live in a very cheap house in Oklahoma City. Uh, it's, I bought it for like 156 is where my peers are buying houses from you know 250 to 450 and I can easily afford something like that but it doesn't really get me anything other than having an inflated house payment I don't think there's any value in burning through an extra $1500 or more compared to my peers every month just to have a ceiling and four walls to hold me in yeah. that means I have an extra $1500 a month read that as six grand a quarter that I can use on whatever I want to that they don't have access to because they're burning it through in their house, just paying off a mortgage. Yeah. So sort of like, uh, you know, when we come back from deployment and you see who spend their money, <laughs> they driving the fancy yeah. cars or, you know, buying the new fancy latest things. Um, yeah. I, I feel you on that. I mean, you want to, you want a big fancy car, go rent a Lamborghini for the weekend pay 2,500 bucks for the weekend, go nuts, go on a road trip, do whatever, and then take it back and then move on with your life. Because yeah. once that third round of payments hits and you're paying 1,200, 1,500, $2,200 a month for that payment, that thing is going to eat you alive. When you have, <laughs> when you have your bills and your debt 
piling up and you can't see over the top of them and you want to go have some fun, invite your friends over for a board game, make spaghetti, <laughs> live it on the cheap. <laughs> it's not going to change the quality of time that you have. Yeah. It's just going to change the old pocketbook. So Travis, next question, where do you see yourself in a year, five years, or even 10 years from now? Uh, five years from now, I am retired from the Navy. The nonprofit architect is pulling in at least 15 grand a month. My speaking, my courses, my books are giving me 50 grand a month. I'm able to go anywhere and speak anywhere. And my business is mobile because I do it all laptop-based, build this laptop empire. So if I go get a job to speak in Rio, I can fly down there for Carnival and speak and hang out for three weeks. I can go to Italy and go speak in Europe and hang out for three months because I've got nothing better to do with my time. Because what I'm doing right now is working on the skills that I need, the network I need to design what I want my day to look like. And if you're listening to this and you haven't given a thought of designing what you want your day to look like, I got another, another recommendation for you that you read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss and see what it looks like to get yourself out of a job or to have a job that works remotely. Fun fact, coronavirus helped this pursuit because so many people are doing telework right now yeah. that you could be on the beach, simping my ties, logging in and doing your engineering work. And when you log off, you're back on the beach. It's up to you how you want to live your life, but a high mortgage or a high car payment is going to prevent you from having the flexibility you need to live that life you're looking to lead. Yeah, I mean, like like you just said, like coronavirus kind of just highlighted the fact that you can do this. You can make a living, right? Living that laptop uh, lifestyle like you just mentioned earlier. It's 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 fantastic. You can get a, a job with a top New York City firm right now, fresh out of college, and never go to New York City. You could be living Wichita prices on a New York City income. Like you're making you know, $400,000 a year living in a place where you were living large if you just roll over a hundred thousand a year. Yeah. Make it four times the average of the place that you live in. You're living large, no matter where that's at. Like why there's no, like you have to decide what that benefit looks like for you. Like I'm in Oklahoma city. It's the top 10 fastest growing places in the country. Top 10 cheapest places in the country. Like my house, like my 2000 square foot house in a nice neighborhood with an elementary school like in some other part of the country, you know, this house would be like $400,000, but because I'm in Oklahoma city it was only 156. You know, I can't, what am I, what am I trading for? What am I, what am I getting that I don't have? You know, why, why are you really in the place you are? Is that where you ended up after school? Is it the town you grew up in? Is that where the opportunity is? Or did you get a mortgage too big that you can't say yes to other opportunities around the country or around the world? Figure out what's really keeping you where you are. Chances are it's that person you see in the mirror every day figure out what you want to do and go do it. There's no reason I should be in the place that I am today. The only reason I'm here is through the grace of God and you, to have the choice to do what I'm doing with my time. You know, we've said it before, I'm still active duty Navy. I've run a couple of side businesses. I'm running a podcast that's top rated that's all over the place because I'm not just devoting my time to one thing. If I was just doing the Navy, the Navy is a salary job, right? That's a fixed income, right? It doesn't matter how much or how little or work, it's a fixed income. You might as well be on welfare. You're getting yeah. a fixed check no matter how hard you work. That's it. That's all you get. And if that's your only source of income and you have a high car payment, a high house payment, you're hating life. 
Travis, this has been an amazing episode. Um, fi one final thing before we go, where can our audience, where can they connect with you? Where can they stay in touch with you? Yeah, there's a contact form on nonprofitarchitect.org. And I'm active on Facebook. If you look at any social media, type in nonprofit architect, you're going to find me. And if you put nonprofit architect podcast in the Google machine, I'm the first three pages, the first 30 results. And if you can't find me, I really can't help you. <laughs> Just go to Google. Google knows everything. Yeah, it's Google, Google knows nonprofit. Um, but yeah, if anybody out there is listening, interested in, you know, creating a nonprofit or maybe um, connecting with a nonprofit, make sure you guys go follow Travis Johnson, um, connect with him, go to his website, nonprofitarchitect.org. Um, and just worst comes to worst, just go to Google and Google nonprofit architect. Uh, you'll find him. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Travis, again, thank you for your time. Um, I appreciate you for dropping all the, the, the knowledge bombs and uh, you know, stay in touch. Hey, no problem. Reed. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate you. All right, guys. Till then, take care. Hey, everyone. Raiden here. I just want to thank you for listening to our podcast. And make sure you guys go check out our website, fortist-fidelis.com. Again, that's fortist-fidelis.com. And learn how you can help us support in providing these memorial coins to the families of the fallen. And make sure you guys go follow our social media on Facebook, FRTSFDLS. Again, that's FRTSFDLS. And on Instagram and Twitter at FRTS underscore FDLS. Again, that's FRTS underscore FDLS. And make sure you guys go subscribe, review, and leave a comment on our podcast on all the podcast platforms. Till then, take care. <laughs>